This audio is from King's Cross Church in Independence, Missouri. For more information or to donate to this ministry, visit kingscrosskc.com. Good morning. Scripture for today is in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, starting at verse 22, going through 59. You can find that on the Peabach Bibles in front of you, uh, beginning on page 891. 891, John 6, starting at verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father has set his seal. They said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, What sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it's written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you've seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. You guys don't know how hard it is to not talk about Greek sometimes. Will and Orion joke about this. Draws him is such an important important word. This is like Acts 21, Paul is dragged out of the temple drawing. It's, it's super cool. Everyone should learn Greek. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God, He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. 
your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. And this is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Happy Thanksgiving. Merry Christmas. I said happy holidays to somebody and I got a quick rebuke in the lobby this morning, so I'm not going to make that mistake again. Um, I also, before we started, asked a few people uh, what was on the table for Thanksgiving. It's always fun to hear uh, the symmetry and then like the, the outliers of stuff, so uh, that was fun to, to hear what people had on the table this week. Um, uh, one, one person said that they had tamales on the table, um, which I'm thinking, what are we doing with our life if tamales aren't on the table? They should be on the table. Uh, you can guess who that was, but... <clears throat> Tamales should be on every table. In our house, there is a turkey that is roasted. Um, I know a lot of people like don't like turkey anymore for some reason, but our turkey is actually pretty good. Um, so we, we roast a turkey. We put that on the table. That's probably my responsibility uh, to make sure that a, a, a turkey that is juicy and not dried out and properly cooked is cut right and placed on the table. We make a cheddar and rice and broccoli casserole, um, which is better than it sounds. Like, it's, it's one of the heroes. Um, and then we make sweet potatoes, which I think most people do. Um, candied pecans, that's the truth. Like, if you're a marshmallow person, I don't know what you're doing, but like candied pecans on top of the sweet potatoes. And then um, mashed potatoes and gravy, as traditional, creamy, normal, not some weird take on it, just mashed potatoes. Really any kind of gravy, giblet gravy, brown gravy, I'll even have country gravy, but whatever kind of gravy, and then we do stuffing. Eh. I messed the stuffing up this year, to be honest, like, it was so dry. It was like, not one comment, everybody's like, this is so good, this is so good, and I'm like, no one's saying that the stuffing's good. I tried, I was like, oh, so dry, and so I took it, ho I took it home, we had dinner at Amy's folks, I took it home and I redid it. I was like, redemption stuffing, and I like mixed it back up, put a bunch of butter in it, recooked it, and it was awesome after that, but might give you heartburn if you eat it. Um, and then a strawberry jello pretzel cream cheesy, we call it a salad, but it's, you know, it's a dessert masquerading as a salad. That actually makes it onto the table as a serious side. Um, so we're big fat hypocrites. And 
Um, so we eat that, and then you're like, okay, then not dessert for a while. And then I would argue what is the, maybe the most important thing is a nice, hot, soft, airy roll. And that's the last thing after the turkey's carved and it's resting. You pop those in the oven, give them a, a flash heat, and, and then the, the house just smells up with the, the fresh bread. My daughter was here. She'd give us an audible amen to the rolls. She loves it. And uh, that, that may be the delicious hot roll, maybe like the thing that binds the meal together. In fact, I actually grew up in a house where, uh, and maybe a culture, I think, actually, and maybe this is a southern thing, or maybe it's like a rural southern thing, I'm not sure, but like I grew up in a culture where um, bread was a norm on the table. Like you didn't actually set the table without bread. And if you didn't make a specialty bread, which there's one for almost every meal, then you just put a slice of bread and some butter out. Like that was just the way we, we did it. You cleaned your plate with the bread at the end, and that's that was life for me growing up. Now, bread is probably the least nutritionist, tr- nutritional thing on the table, right? Like if, all, if you just like ate any one of those dishes, you could probably survive for a while. But if you only ate bread, how long are you going to make it? Not, not very long. Some of you... Um, are, are gluten resistant, you're not gonna make it long at all. But, uh, but, but, but bread is probably the least. It's basically a delivery device for butter. Like that's, that's what it is. It has no other good qualities. Um, but it's important to know that bread is, a, is historically a very um, important item, right? Like throughout history, uh, certainly throughout the times of the Bible, um, bread was the staple of a diet, And the reason is because it was made with a few ingredients that were easy to get. And man, if you smell the fresh bread in a house, it meant that your belly wasn't going to go empty. And all cultures sort of have this, right? They have, uh, whether it's tortillas or flatbread or whatever, like all cultures kind of have a bread and it's sort of like a staple. And when you're in a famine or whatever, like bread is, a, is something that sustains. And so that's what we see. We see um, a couple of things um, that relate to the Thanksgiving table. One, there's differences. And in this story, in this discourse, there has historically been a lot of differences in how people have viewed this bread of life discourse that Jesus has here. There's a lot of that. I'm not going to really focus on that. We're really just going to focus on the bread. We're going to focus this morning in our text today where Jesus clearly says four times, I am the bread of life. He says it four times clearly. He says it indirectly multiple more times. So we're going we're gonna to look at that today. We're going to look at what does it mean to truly seek Jesus? What does Jesus mean when he says, I'm the bread of life? And then we'll discover the connection between, at the end, of believing and eating, right? Like, so, so that's, that's where we're going to go today in the text. Let me pray and we'll jump in. Father in heaven, we, um, we seek you this morning. We, we open our hearts. We open our minds. We open our lives to you in this holy space. Amongst the praises of your people, amongst the reading of your word, amongst the prayers of the saints, God, we we open our our lives to you on the the first week of this season of Advent. 
And God, we want to thank you for the grace that we've experienced this year. Lord, that, that our hearts would be full of gladness and thanksgiving. God, would you help and, to remind us of your goodness throughout the year? Even though things may not have like gone exactly how we wanted them to, help us to see, Lord, that many times that your hand was guiding and protecting and providing. God, I pray that you would give us this morning the gift of Advent is the gift of your coming, the gift of seeing the incarnated Christ. And God, would you help us this morning and this, this month to slow down, to capture the glimpses of your grace and the glimpses of your glory that do exist in our lives. May you be the brightest thing in this building, Jesus, as we look into your text. And may my words and actions honor and receive the anointing from heaven that your word deserves. We love you and we praise you. It's in your name we pray, amen. Verse 22, like, so catching up, it's, it, it's, it, there's no real break from, from, from last week where Jesus feeds the 5,000, he walks on water, uh, teleports a boat, like, I mean, all that stuff is connected to what's happening in here. So if you aren't here, let me just, like, bind those stories together. You can read that later. And this is, like, carrying over, and it says, on the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea. So, so that, that's what we have. Now, it's kind of archaic a little bit how it reads. So let me just like sort of paraphrase and reconstruct what's happened here. Um, so it's, it's the next day after this miracle, right? And after this, 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 this walking on the water and the storm and all this stuff. And um, what we have is a remnant crowd that's like still there. And they're like, Maybe some of them have gone back to work. Maybe some of them are tending something. But there's, there's still some folks, quite a bit of folks there. And they're, 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 they're not ready to let go of the miracle, right? They're not ready to let go, right? If this happened to us, I, I think many of us would be like, I'm sticking around to see what's next, right? Like, we're, we're not taking off. We're going we're gonna to stick around. And at some point, they wake up and they're like, hey, I'm kind of getting hungry again. Are you hungry? <laughs> right? Maybe we need to eat again. So they start looking for Jesus, but they can't find him. And, and this area is pretty much like a given area, right? Like he's either there or he's not. And so they look for Jesus. They don't find Jesus. They're wanting an encore. And so they realize, hey, there's some boats that during the storm that have come loose from Ti nearby Tiberias, and, and they're out there. And so they get on the boats. They go, let's go to Capernaum. Now remember, Capernaum is where Jesus' home base was. So, so they head back over to find Jesus. Verse 23, that the storm that night blew some boats over. They get in there, they, find, they, they head back over, and then we'll pick it up in verse 24. It says, so when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Seeking Jesus. I read this passage this week just over and over again, trying to be as familiar as possible. It's a big text. We got a lot of work to do in a little bit of time. And, and man, every, every time that I read this passage, these two words haunted me more than any other. Seeking Jesus. 
seeking Jesus. It's unusual that it's these two words. It's not the words of Jesus or some main character. It's actually John's words where he's like narrating what's happening. He's just telling us what happened, but seeking Jesus. And it haunts me because this large group of people is seeking him and they've experienced his goodness and they're going through all this effort to find him and they've encountered the living Messiah and their lives have been interrupted by him and they're seeking Jesus. But as we keep reading in verse 25 through 31, they, they, they're, we look at the entire story and we have to question whether they are seriously seeking Jesus. Let's look at verse 25. When they have found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Like we don't get very far in their discussion, right, before Jesus exposes the reality that they aren't really seeking him. They're actually seeking what he might provide for them. That's why these words haunt me. They were seeking Jesus enough that they went and looked for him and they got in a boat and they, they didn't go back to their jobs that day. They didn't go tend their crops that day. They didn't go find firewood that day or whatever else that they might have had on the calendar. And so that, that should cause us to have some bit of alarm that there is a reality that many people who are, who, who are seeking Jesus in their lives may not be truly seeking him for him. But rather seeking God or seeking religion or seeking the practice of Christianity to get what it gives us or makes us feel like or makes us seem like to outsiders and other people rather than us being disciples. And so it should cause us some alarm today. Uh, that's what I would lose sleep over. These people are catching glimpses of Jesus. They're not in the boat with Jesus. They're, they're, they're not people who have been through the storm that he ceases. They've caught a meal with him. And maybe they've attributed some things in their life to God. They're certainly not traveling through life with him as a disciple. And I, I wonder how many people in God's church today are that way. They're not disciples who have left their old life and have united their life to Christ. In some way, in this moment, the crowd, the masses, the majority of people around Jesus are seeking what he might give them. They're not seeking him and I want people to know that they know that they know that they are his. Like I want you to know that you know that you are his and, and that Christ is in you and you are in Christ. And Christ even wants that more. Jesus even wants that more. And so Jesus meets in this story their weakness with a robust Christology, right? Like that's what he does. And they call him rabbi or teacher. It goes on to say, so Jesus said to them, uh, or, or verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For 
On him, God the Father has set his seal. And they said to him, what must we do to to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who has sent him. So, so, they, so here's what they do. They, they're like, okay, hey, rabbi, teacher, like we're seeking you. We, we, we see this sign that you're doing. What, what, what must we do to do the work of God? And, and Jesus, rather than like, like sit there and answer them in the way that the, maybe they want, he's like, here's the work of God. The work of God is to believe in him. Like, and that's been what John has been about this whole gospel so far, is to cause us to believe in the, in the person, in the work of Jesus. They say, what signs do you do that we may see and that we may believe in you? And then they bring up in verse 31, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they're like, you're a teacher? Or maybe you're like as important as Moses. Maybe you're like as important as Moses. And they, and they liken, they bring up this bread, and they're like, maybe you, he's already provided the sign. That's what's so funny. He's already actually done this miracle, and they're like, hey, maybe you could do something else for us. Maybe you could, maybe you could dance a little bit for us. Maybe you could do something else to help our unbelief. And then Jesus just goes sort of headlong into his discourse in 32. He says, truly, truly. Remember a few weeks ago, we saw the repetition of that. And he's like, whenever he starts to do that, truly, truly, he's like, he's getting ready to lay down some foundational truths. That's what's going to happen. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So something's happened here. So just to sort of catch you up on the context, something's happened here where they start to, they they encounter Jesus in Capernaum. And and, and the scene is probably like on the side of the road. There's just this huge crowd and they're talking to Jesus. Jesus is talking back. They're having a conversation, right? Like it's a dialogue and and, and they're just kind of feeling him out. And he's like, He's trying to expose where they're really at. And then at some point here, we don't really know where, but if you jump down um, in, the, in, the, in the whole passage to the end in verse 59, it says, Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. So we know like at some point they transitioned to the, to the synagogue. And, and so instead of a dialogue on the side of the road, now we have a monologue we have a monologue like it's normal in the synagogue where Jesus is just teaching, right? Like that's, that's what he's doing. There's this crowd sitting there. It's a pretty big synagogue. There's a lot of people in the room, bigger than this, this room here. And Jesus starts to teach what it means for him to be the bread of life. And it's funny that they have this concern for Moses and feeding the 5,000 and Jesus is like, hey, listen, I, I want you to not just like want to see what Moses did, but I want, to, I want you to see that God provided that. I want you to just see that like Moses was the mediator between God and he was this great man. Like I want you, I want you to actually see that God provided that. 
my father gives you true bread from heaven. And then, he, and then he's like, hey, listen, this, similar things are happening right now. Similar things are happening right now in this moment. As you're looking around for signs and yet never seeing God. Jesus is saying, hey, when you followed Moses and that manna was on the ground, that was God. That, that, was, that was God and God providing for you. And, and you didn't see it. Like you didn't, you didn't see that that's what it was. We, we, we tend to think we're a bigger deal than we are. And we tend to interpret the things around us in a certain way, right? When I was a, a, a kid, my first job, you may have heard me talk about this before, but my first job was at my grandpa's stable. I would go there a couple of times a week and um, he trained racehorses. And so my first job was to clean poop out of stalls, be a pooper scooper, and eradicate rodents. So um, really prestigious work. Um, and uh, I would go there on Tuesdays and Fridays. I'd make a dollar a day, which in the late 70s, early 80s was a big deal, a dollar a day for a kid. And, uh, and so, so I would... I would go there and work, and I, I sort of learned my work ethic there and, and uh, worked really hard. And um, in my mind, I think, if I would be honest to admit, that in my memory and in my mind, longer than I would care to admit, I was like keeping the stables clean and keeping them rodent-free, and like I was doing this big thing and this, this big job and impacting in, you know this in a certain way. In reality, I was just... Like, my grandpa was putting up with me, right? Like, I might have cleaned one stall. I might have one time shot a rodent. Like, I, the reality is, like, I, wasn't inter I didn't interpret those events correctly. He was, he was the one who was actually providing all of these things and keeping things clean and, and yet raising me up as a little boy to be a man. And, and like, like, that's the reality that I was living and yet, in my mind, I was interpreting those events in a different way. And yet, how many stalls do you think God is cleaning out of your life every day? How many rodents in your life is God eradicating without you noticing? And that's really what Jesus is after. He's, he's wanting them to see that it isn't just their Jewishness. He's even wanting them to see beyond the blessing. Right, like I even I even was just challenged to think about how God blesses in our church, e either on a gathered Sunday or in some other way. Right, that God provides some blessing. He provides something that was not going to be that way, and it was. And we all know it's because God did it. But do we do we think deep enough to reflect? Well, what does that mean about God? You know, we're we're, we're excited to sort of nudge each other and elbow each other and say, "Praise God! Look what's happening." But do we think deeply behind that event to say, well, what does this mean about a loving God? What does this mean? He's wanting them to see the nature of who he is. That, that he is the true and better bread. That he is the true and better Moses. That he is the true and better mediator of a new covenant. This is, this is what Jesus wants these people to see. He's like, you're constantly missing me because you're so focused on yourself. And so he's asking them 
He's asking them to look a little deeper. So he's, he's not at the roadside anymore. He's, he's not in a dialogue anymore. He's in a monologue and he's teaching them and he's going to teach them what it means to be the bread of life. And, and, and what's unique about this passage is we could spend probably um, a few weeks actually just going through this and picking a verse and, and really diving into what that verse means and, 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 and the, the, the original Greek language and the context. And like it would be, there's a whole class you could do on the bread of life. It's just beautiful. It's detailed. There's so much you can unpack. But this morning, what, what I think is helpful sometimes is to try to take a step back. You've heard Jesus read this, um, or you've heard this read to you um, by Jeff, not Jesus. He, he, he likes that. Um, uh, but you've heard this read to you. But, but sometimes what you got to do to see something well is sort of take a step back. When, when we were on sabbatical this summer, we went to Crystal Bridges in, in Arkansas and we were walking through, and there was this sculpture that we came upon, and it was, it was really unique, and it was something that caught your eye, and you looked at it, and you were like, man, that's... And then you, as you started to walk kind of around it, you, your mind started to grab different shapes and colors, and you're like, is that... And then they'd be like, no, that's not what it is. And then you had to get around it and kind of take a step back, and then you actually could see that it was a man, and before you stood in a certain place and took a step back, you, you really couldn't see it, right? Like you couldn't see. And, so, and the name of the statue was like Perspective Matters or something. And, and, and that's a reality in God's word. Sometimes we need to take a bit of a step back. We can, we can look at each verse and we can unpack the Greek and we can do all that. But sometimes we need to take a step back and really just look at what he's saying. What are, what are the big things that he is saying and so this is what Jesus means when he says he's the bread of life. Here, here are a few things. Verse 33. Verse 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He starts with the most all-encompassing idea of the bread of life. Like have you ever thought about the idea that Jesus is the creator of the world and holds the world together by the power of his word, right? Like that, he created the world, he holds it together. Like there's a, there's a reality here that the bread of life actually does mean that. And he's like, the whole world has life. It's the most macro way that he could talk about the bread of life. The, the whole world has life because of Jesus. This morning on Neptune, it is negative 224 degrees. There is no life there. You don't have to ask NASA, I'm pretty sure that's true. There's no life there this morning. It doesn't exist. And it doesn't exist because of this. The, this is Jesus saying this, in this, this isn't a, uh, a teaching on aliens. This is a teaching on the world gets its life from Jesus. The world gets its life from Jesus. The most macro idea. Verse 35. Who comes to me. Anyone who comes to me, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. The bread of life means that, that there's something about being close to Jesus, about finding Jesus, the metaphor of bread and hunger. It's an easy one. It's an easy one for us to understand that Jesus is nourishment. He is a staple. He is, he's what we need to survive. Anyone who comes to me, 
shall not hunger. On the, on the, on the adverse, your hunger can only be satisfied in Christ. Your spiritual hunger will find no satisfaction apart from Christ. And yet we do point that in other directions. And the Bible calls that idolatry. That's the reality. The second part of that is not so easy. You you shall not thirst. I don't know about you, but I've never thirsted for bread, right? Like bread... Bread does, I don't find my satisfaction of thirst in eating something. It is strange that, that they would add thirst here. You won't hunger, but you shall never thirst. Like, unless you take another step back and you say, okay, well, what is hunger and what is thirst? Well, we hunger for food that sustains us over days and weeks and months. You thirst for water that you need every day, that sustains us over hours and days. So to say that the hunger that the bread of life satisfies is for today and for tomorrow. You see that? Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and shall not thirst. The metaphor of bread will satisfy those cravings, and it's the only thing that can Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. All who come to me, I will never cast out. The bread of life, Jesus, keeps us. It keeps us. You can see this all the way out in his high priestly prayer in John 15. It keeps us. There's this idea that we see where God is sovereign over salvation and he gives Christ the elect and Jesus keeps the elect. Moses died. Abraham died. All the forefathers died. Joseph provided meals and and sustenance for Israel for years They all died. Jesus doesn't die in a way that he can't keep us. He dies in a way that he can keep us. Through his resurrection, he keeps us. Verse 39, he says, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. So not just keep, But there's coming a day where you will be raised to eternal life with him. That through Christ's resurrection, we will receive resurrection life and we will be raised up. And you see this sort of narrative continue throughout his discourse that that you will be raised up and you will be raised up. That, That Christ will keep you and that he will be raised up. That's the nature of a covenant with the bread of life. Verse 45, if we skip down... He says, it is written in the prophets, and they, will, and, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So this is actually Jesus teaching that the bread of life will teach people, fulfilling the promises of Isaiah, and at that very moment, actually fulfilling the promise. That the bread of life, that God is actually teaching his people. But it's also a beautiful promise to us today that 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 continues. It continues in your life. 
It continues in your life every day that Jesus is there to be our teacher, to be our counselor, to help us understand who God is and what God is doing in our lives. We, will be, we have teachers in the church who are gifted to teach God's word, but, but the promise here and the promise all the way back in Isaiah is being fulfilled that Jesus teaches his flock. It's beautiful. That, that by the Spirit, he guides us and he helps us in his word to be his people. And then verse 49, it, it continues the idea, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Jesus is the true and the better Moses. He's the true and the better bread. He's the bread that nourishes so completely that it overcomes death. I uh, take a daily vitamin. I tend to um, over uh, experience what that vitamin can do. Sometimes when I take that vitamin in the morning, I'm like, this can heal cancer. This, you know, like I'm just thinking, I'll take two of these and then I'll be extra healthy. Um, like I just, I, I don't know if, if any of you do that, but I, I mean, sometimes I look at that, the, the vitamin and I think it's like a magic pill, right? Like it'll undo all the unhealth that I, <laughs> that I have done. Like what, what Jesus is saying is like the bread, it is magic. It's a magic bread. Like it, it, it's a bread that, that is full of so much mystery and power and wonder and all that God has placed into it that it will turn death into life. It will turn death into life. And Jesus is the mediator of this covenant, of this new bread. That's what Jesus is saying. He's like, I'm the bread of life. You guys are looking for something like what happened with Moses, I will provide something far better. But they're having a hard time grasping it, right? Like they're having a hard time grasping what the miracles mean. They're having a hard time grasping who Jesus is. I guess not unlike us, right? Like it's not unlike us, but that's a reality. They missed Jesus, so many of them. So how did they miss Jesus? Let me, let me just travel back through our text and, and we'll sort of finish with this today. I think they, they missed Jesus, one, they, they didn't travel among the disciples. Like, I don't know if they could have got in the boat or if they would have been allowed to get in the boat, but, th- but if you wanted to be somewhere in the story, it was in the boat that you wanted to be, right? So, so, so even just like looking at it objectively far out, it's like, um, get in the boat with Christ. Like, what are you waiting on by the shoreline? Uh, get in the boat, be a disciple that's in the boat amongst what God is doing. And if like you're having a hard time knowing what that's like, Jesus wasn't in the boat yet when they left, but like be amongst the disciples. Be amongst his disciples. Verse 26, we see that they sought Jesus selfishly. There was a reality to their religion and what they were doing that they weren't seeking Jesus with a true heart. And you have to think about that. You have to ask yourself. You have to be honest. You have to open your life up to people that maybe would be honest enough to tell you that. And then when you are convicted by the Spirit of God, you have to confess that sin and repent and seek God's forgiveness and love and redemption. They sought Jesus selfishly. They had a lot of ego in their religion, a lot of self-benefit. And we have to root that out of ourselves 
with God's help. Verse 28, 29. Their lack of faith in Jesus led them to seek a sign. They wanted God to constantly prove himself, although he already did. They just didn't accept Jesus for who he was. Like there, there's a, I think there's a reality to most Christians where we're sort of like, we're, we're, we're sort of like conditionally following God, right? There's things in our lives where, man, if God touched that, we're gonna really struggle, right? Or we're gonna struggle or maybe break down or maybe sort of lose our grip of faith, you know? Like that's the reality. That, that's a reality for them. And I think it's part of how they miss Jesus. And all the way down in verse 42, there's what we call the Nazarene or Nazareth principle that, that they couldn't believe in the normalness of who Jesus was. They couldn't believe like, okay, isn't he Joseph's son and Mary's son, right? They thought they knew how God would do it. He was going to be this big reigning king. He's going to look more like David and just destroying folks. They thought they knew how God would do it. And there's a reality to that for us, that we think we know at times how God will do it. We just have an expectation, and what God does often doesn't fit our assumptions and our expectations and, 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 and our framework. We don't have pockets for what God's doing. And that's one of the ways that they missed him. There's sometimes a very normalness to the miraculousness of God. Sometimes a very normalness to what God's doing around us, and so it can make it easy to miss. And then 52 through 59, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Like, that feels like Halloween. It's a hard thing to say. It's a hard thing to hear. But they were not spiritually discerning. It's funny, they spend their entire lives studying the scriptures and trying to be focused on God, and yet they still aren't spiritually discerning or or at least when they hear something that, that is difficult, they're so stuck in their religion, they're so sort of stuck where they are that they've lost the forest through the trees. And, and there's, there's one part ego holding them back, there's a part that lacks curiosity, there's a, maybe a part that lacks hunger, but whatever it is, they're stuck, sort of stuck in their religion and they can't discern spiritually what's happening around them. And ultimately, in this passage, there's a crowd that's sort of missing Jesus. And Jesus is like, this is who I am. And, and, and the last little, little, little reason is ultimately they miss Jesus according to Jesus in this scripture because the Father had not given them to Jesus which is Jeff's commentary where, where, where the idea of being drawn by the Father is this idea that God the Father is dragging, much like you would um, put your arm around someone who has drowned and is dead and, and you are swimming to the shore. And, and ultimately, according to Jesus, these people are not his yet. But Jesus isn't just about his disciples. He slows down. He speaks to the crowd. He has compassion and he has love for the crowd. He does. And he, he gives them the gospel and he gives them the word. And he talks about something that they should know about. 
which is bread. If the Jews knew about any idea or metaphor, it should be bread. You know, in the, in the temple, there was a, a golden table that, that, that sitting on that golden table at all times were 12 beautiful, luscious, three-pound, five-pound loaves of bread at all times. And when that bread got old, the priests went and they made new bread. And if you were in the temple, you would have smelled the bread being cooked. And then they would go outside to the altar and they would do grain offerings. When they made a sacrifice, they'd put grain on the altar. They would give a grain offering. Like this is, this is a part of who they are. As a Thanksgiving, they constantly smelled the Thanksgiving aroma of hot rolls everywhere that they went. And yet they missed it. They missed it. What are the obvious ways that we are missing God in our lives? That's as simple as I can put it today. What are the obvious ways that we are missing God in our lives? And if you've not surrendered your life to Christ and believed in him, repenting of sin and accepting Christ's life and his death on the cross, I hope you will smell this bread this morning. We've heard Jesus say he's the bread of life. We've, we've learned what it meant to the Jewish people of that day. We know what it means to us as Christians. We know the tragedy of missing this is that you do not spend eternal life with Christ in his kingdom. The, the glory and the celebration of eating this bread and taking it into our bodies is to receive eternal life in the person and work. And the final little piece here of 52 through 59 has been argued for ages whether or not this is the Lord's Supper that he's talking about or not. And I would say it's probably not. And you read it, you're like, man, it sounds like the Lord's Supper. It uses many of the same metaphors. Here's, here's, here's what it is at least saying, okay? So when we come to the Lord's Supper, it, it represents, it signifies our union with Jesus Christ's life, his death, his body that was broken, right? It signifies this thing, this union, and what, what he's wanting them to say that's in line with the whole context of this passage is that it's about me, folks. It's about me. It's about receiving me. It's about, like, not just seeking me a little bit. It's about going all in and following me with your whole life and giving me everything in your life, and I am your substance, and I am your nutrition daily, hourly, weekly, yearly. Like, I am your source. I am your Messiah. I am your covenant mediator. He's like, that's the point of this. That's the point of this. And they're like, man, that's too hard. I don't know. I, I, I don't think I can do this. Right? And so Jesus is constantly saying things that are super clear and things that are like, man, I actually need God to draw me and open up my eyes to help see that. And so um, even as we take the Lord's Supper, this text is fresh upon us. And, and, and we do the Lord's Supper every week here. And we, we invite anyone who believes in Christ to come and take the bread that represents his body broken for us dip it into the juice that represents his blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sins. 
So if you're a Christian, we invite you to come today to that. Jesus served as the sacrificial lamb the night before his death. He broke the bread. He thanked God and he provided the bread offering. And we celebrate the bread as well as the sacrifice of his blood this morning. His death is the perfect sacrifice that replaces the need um, for animal sacrifices and for bread sacrifices. His death is the perfect sacrifice. And the Apostle Paul said something in 1 Corinthians 11 that that it's a gift that Jesus gave us, that he died to free us from sin and death and give us eternal life. And when we celebrate and when we acknowledge the Lord's Supper, we are proclaiming Christ. Like sometimes I think as you come to the table, you think about like it as devotional, right? Like you, you come to the table to partake of it. It's like, do you know that like what Paul's saying is like when you get up and you move your body down here and you partake of it, you're proclaiming the lordship and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That's what you're doing. So anyone who comes to the table today preaches the gospel. Would you stand with me as we prepare to do that? If you are a believer, come and take the bread. Eat the bread. And you will hear this is his body broken for you. You will hear this is his blood shed for you. And you could reply, and for you. Come and do that this morning. Let me pray for us. Father, I ask um, even as we, um, even as we come and we um, observe the Lord's Supper, Lord, I pray that there would be ways this morning that you would refresh us, you would replenish us. Like I imagine that there's just people that are tired of cleaning houses and hosting people and travels. So I even pray for just like really simple mercies. Would you replenish your people? Would you give them nutrients in their bodies? But Lord, would you give us nutrient for our spirit, like for our soul, the things our soul needs today? God, would your, would your spirit do that work as, as your church comes to the table? Lord, we love you. We pray for all of those who are traveling today. Um, we pray for our family who's overseas in Africa, serving the gospel. May they receive favor and blessing today. Pray those things in your son's name, Jesus. Amen.